I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. I'm Sean Thomas, Garden Visits Editor for the RHS's magazine for members, The Garden. As regular listeners will know, this is a podcast made by people who know and love gardening, for people who love gardening and who would like to know more. We discuss plant care, garden design, wildlife, good and bad, growing your own fruit and vegetables and much, much more. In these podcasts, you'll hear something to interest everyone however small or big your plot, or indeed pot. Coming up in this edition, the podcast team visits an East London school that is wild about gardening to find out how they are trying to find low-cost ways to encourage bees and hedgehogs into their playgrounds. They hope to inspire a new generation of urban children to be involved in creating a greener Britain and protect our endangered wildlife. We'll bring you the latest news on events and activities at RHS Gardens this summer, Plus, meet the inspirational team behind gold medal-winning orchid nursery, Vacherot and Le Couflet, whose breathtaking blooms won Best Exhibit in the Floral Marquee at the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show this July. But first, let's join the curator of RHS Garden Wisley, Matthew Pottage, to get an update on what's happening in the garden this summer. So my name is Matthew Pottage and I'm the curator here at RHS Garden Wisley. As you can hear, there's a hive of activity here today. There's hedge cutters going, there's mowers going. We are in the height of the summer season. We're busy getting our hornbeam hedges back into some kind of shape after a full year's growth. Uh, but there's still loads to see in the garden as always. So the Wisley developments are really now progressing. And if you've visited, you will notice, especially on seven acres where the hoarding is now up, we have a site exhibition office going in so you can see the, we, the new developments, the plans. There'll be a viewing platform coming later in August so you'll actually be able to go out onto that and look firsthand at the developments for our new welcome and entrance project. Uh, but also happening, it's not just about the new building. Our new exotic garden is opening this summer, mid uh, mid-August so you may have been watching that coming together over the summer and that replaces the old rose garden which was a little uh, monoculture garden of hybrid tea roses uh, but this is now a real destination for late summer so there's palms bananas gingers cannas dahlias and we used to do these styles of planting just in a small border before and we used to find the visitors love them 
Uh, lots of the kids wanted to actually walk through it. It's quite an immersive thing. So this garden now has smaller paths running through the planting. It's very, very full, and it just gives people an idea of what they can do, you know, something a bit different at home. The real peak of these things is in later summer because they kind of need that whole growing season to get going, really. The summer heat is really the time when these things start to wake up. They then come into growth, and then they're typically flowering into the autumn. So that'll take us right until the first frosts. My suggestion would be come to our flower show which is the first week of September. The exotic garden will be looking super then so you can take in the show and have a look at that to see how it's settling in. And this time of year and moving into late summer we have the mixed borders still really looking good. Uh, the mixed borders kind of kick off from the longest day onwards so do take a look at the mixed borders. Look at the glasshouse borders too, and then the borders that run down the hill from the viewing mount. They're originally laid out by Pete Audolf uh, some 17 years ago now, actually. And you know what is fabulous about these borders is just seeing the real talent that Pete Audolf has as a plantsman is his design, his perennial choice, and the longevity of those plants. They're in a very severe spot in that they don't get additional watering, feeding, uh, or any kind of staking. They are left to fend for themselves, and it is still a brilliant display they look good right into the first frost so do take a look at that and then something that's just coming together now it's its first year but we've done uh, some quite a bit of replanting on the borders on the seven acres east lawn so if you're in the big cafe and you're looking out that's the two borders on the edge of that lawn and they've got quite a seasonal peak for the autumn lots and lots of new asters have gone in there they will be all shapes and sizes there's actually a lot of cultivars gone in with euonymus uh, the spindles so like the euonymus europaeus types cultivars of that they will have autumn fruits on them and then things that are just known for their good autumn color such as rus and some cotinus so that will be it'll be looking quite young this season but it is good to see things when they first go in and watch that establish with us over the coming years Another area to look out for is the Battleston Hill area. There's kind of two real points of interest in late summer. That's seeing the hydrangeas, which take us right through into the autumn. It's always interesting, I think, to see how the hydrangea flowers actually age because some hydrangea flowers very obviously just finish. Uh, but some of the paniculata types go from white through to pink, then through to red, and they have a, you know, a really good season of interest. So do walk up the main broadwalk and take a look at those but also into the mediterranean garden and into the dell area where we have tree ferns um, and some kind of jurassic style planting that is always at its best in late summer so if you're feeling a bit more adventurous do take a walk out there uh, and explore battleston hill matthew pottage as always you can find more information about rhs garden wisley see photos and find out about special events and attractions on our website see rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens and remember entry to all four of our gardens is free for members just one of the many benefits of joining the rhs i'm sean thomas and you're listening to the rhs gardening podcast now, at the RHS, we're passionate about gardens, and that includes the wildlife that depends on our green spaces to survive. These creatures are, in turn, essential for our plants, food and flowers. Over the last 50 years, according to research by the Wildlife Trust in partnership with the RHS, the UK has seen declines in two-thirds of native plant and animal species. The Wild About Gardens initiative is a joint venture by the Wildlife Trusts and the RHS to draw attention to this issue and get individuals, groups and communities to take steps to help stop the decline. 
You can find out more information about the initiative on our website and on wildaboutgardensweek.org.uk. Small steps can make a big difference to wildlife and needn't be complicated or costly. We went to visit a nursery in East London with wildlife writer Kate Bradbury to find out how garden lovers of any age or level of experience can make a positive impact in protecting the creatures around us. Hello, I'm Kate Bradbury. I'm a garden writer specialising in wildlife gardening and I'm here to chat to Sarah about the garden she's created here at the nursery. So we're in quite an urban area of East London. We're in Walthamstow. Um, You might be able to hear police sirens and and building work going on around us. But we're in this really lovely space, um, which is... It consists of a play area in the centre for the children, surrounded by lawn, and then all around the grounds, there's just masses of hedging, which is just so perfect for wildlife. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if you've got hedgehogs here, Sarah. I wouldn't know. I haven't seen any signs of hedgehogs. We've definitely got foxes. And we also um, have spoken to the Fox Association, and they've given us medication so that the foxes... So they're healthy foxes. Oh, that's cute. Um, yeah, I mean, hedgehogs, you, you're unlikely to see them because they're nocturnal and um, they mostly come out at about 2am. But this, this, this strikes me as being a perfect garden for hedgehogs, if you're out and about at 2am. The hedgehog population's declined massively and there's estimated only about a million left compared to the 1970s when it was 30 million. So this garden is, is brilliant. It's, you've got flat hedges all around it, which creates leaf litter beneath that the hedgehogs can travel between. Um, so I, I gather there's a field over there. They can travel easily from the field through the hedge into here. Um, lots of foraging areas for them. Um, if there's leaf litter, then there'll be beetles and caterpillars and things for them to eat. Um, here you've got a very grassy area, um, you've got lots of red clover, uh, white clover, lots of weeds, sort of long grass, grass going to seed. That generates lots of insects and seed for birds to eat. And also, you know, caterpillars, hedgehogs eat a lot of caterpillars. It's a really nice mixed garden, it's on lots of nice different levels um, and it's a good habitat for a wide range of species. So how did this garden come about, Sarah? Well, we had the idea to expand the garden and involved the parents and the children. So we asked them to bring in plants, asked them to bring in seeds. We got some ourselves, so we got soil. We were fundraising, so the parents, we did sponsored walks around the field or made biscuits to raise money and sent the seeds home. So for example, the sunflowers there, we sent them home until they were established plants, asked them to bring them back and then put them into the garden. So the children were nurturing them and growing them at home which then they were coming in and the parents were then involved taking photos, bringing them in, telling us how much they'd grown or died. Mm-hmm. And then we would send more out because, yeah. you know, it's upsetting for the children, but that is life, isn't it? Yeah. Plants do die. They don't all bloom. Yeah. So then we'd provide some more and they would bring them in. So once they're more established, then we have put them in the garden. We do have problems with squirrels and squirrels do eat a lot of the things that are in the garden, mainly our strawberries. How can you help us? protect the hedgehogs that are around here well first it'd be really good to establish if you are getting hedgehogs here so i'd recommend um, making or getting hold of a a hedgehog footprint tunnel which consists of um, some corrugated plastic um, and an ink pad and some food and some bits of paper all sort of lined up so that when the hedgehog goes into the tunnel um, it steps on some ink and then uh, walks on the paper to get to the food and so then you've got your then you've got your hedgehog footprints um so that would that would be one thing i recommend um on the children would love that and what food would you leave out for a hedgehog uh i leave out hedgehog biscuits um but meat 
um, based cattle dog food is really good and um, chicken yeah. flavour is best but not but bread not and milk bread and milk because no. uh, that can dehydrate them and, and cause them to die oh, um, okay. so it's, it's bread and milk is very very bad for hedgehogs and also as we're coming into autumn um, you know I mean you've got you've got quite a few outbuildings here if you just got one piece of, of plywood um, and leaned it up against um, that shed there and put loads of fallen leaves underneath it and, and, and weighed it down and made it secure then then you're creating a really nice dry space that a, a hedgehog can hibernate beneath over winter yeah. so with increased awareness of bees Sarah it's really lovely to see that you've got so many bee friendly flowers um, I'm standing in front of a patch of mallow marigold cornflowers love and a mist um, and you've even got some wild carrot here um, is, is that something that you're keen to encourage the young children to to get involved in Absolutely, and also we're planning for next year and we are going to expand this area because it's been so successful and the children have been so interested. And also where we've got children who are so fearful of insects and will run if they see a fly, a wasp, a bee, even butterflies, they are now coming with magnifying glasses, watching, and then coming to report back to, to let us know what's going on and where the flowers have changed and grown and bloomed. They are so interested in it. One thing that I'm passionate about, Sarah, is is um, gardening for bees but not just one type of bee a lot of people are surprised Sarah to learn that, that there are 250 species of bee in Britain um, and, and only one of those is the honeybee oh, I didn't realize that um, yes <laughs> so um, and that you know the honeybee is a generalist feeder it will feed on most types of flower it's got a medium length short to medium length tongue or proboscis and it, and it feeds on all sorts of flowers. You see honeybees on, on a huge variety of flowers, but some bees are very, very specialised. Some have incredibly short tongues, some have very long tongues. The garden bumblebee has, has a really long tongue. I think it's one of the longest tongues, or possibly the longest tongued bee um, in Britain. You won't get shorter tongued species like honeybee feeding from honeysuckle, but you need honeysuckle to provide food for the longer tongued bees and the longer tongued moths and butterflies. And most of the rarer species of bee have longer tongues. So it's important to grow flowers with long corollas or, or flower tubes. So things like foxgloves, um, honeysuckle, okay. um, those sorts of plants where, where the bee has to really stick their tongue in to get to the nectar um, is really, really great. You know, there's, there's 25 species of bumblebee in Britain. Um, about eight of those will come into gardens. So you can expect eight species of bumblebee in this garden. And you just identify them by the colour of their bums. So there's the red <laughs> bum, the white bum, the orange bum. You can easily download a BID identification sheet from the internet. Um, I think um, charities like Bumblebee Conservation Trust might even do school packs, nursery packs. Okay, and you'll find links on the RHS website. You could also take part in something like Butterfly Count, um, which is organised by Butterfly Conservation, where you go around and you just count the different types of butterflies you've seen. I mean, just as we've been standing here, I've seen two or three species. Um, and again, you know, you can download school packs for free online. You can get involved. You can just teach the children just the very basic differences between the peacock and the small tortoiseshell and the speckled wood butterfly um, and just get them counting and get them learning the different species. And I just think it's so wonderful what you're doing here because... These children are developing a passion and an interest in nature from a very early age and that's going to be taken hopefully with them throughout their whole lives and you know when it comes to having to stand up and fight for this space that may be threatened by development in a few years time you know it's going to be these children who are going to be there protesting against yeah. it and that's that's the wonderful thing. We are very very lucky and from starting from very very young with the hungry caterpillar and then we bring it outside. <laughs>
So you've got this pack here, Sarah, from the RHS Campaign for School Gardening. So what have you got in here? Um, there's lots of um, fabulous, fabulous photos here. There are spiders, there are bees, there are snails. And what we did is we gave the, ch- the children the pictures and asked them to go around the garden and see if they could find any of these Aww. pictures within the garden. And some of them they couldn't. And ladybirds threw them because they found yellow ones, not red ones. They've got 22 spot ladybirds in the, yep. this nursery. Oh, I see. So, and ants, red ants, they didn't want to go near the picture initially, but now they all go around with it joyfully. <laughs> they love worms. We're going to walk over to the Bug Hotel now. You like the Bug Hotel? Yeah. What do you like about it? It has loads of bugs in it. <gasps> Can you come and show me? Yeah. yeah. Why did we build the Bug Hotel? Because bugs didn't have anything to live. Okay, and what did we find and what did we put in here? Worms and um, lots of bugs. Lots of bugs. Can you remember what other names the bugs were? Yeah. Um, Worms, spiders and ants and and snails. Well done. and, And what did we do when we found them? Where did we put them? In the bug hotel. In the bug hotel, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> did we build the bug hotel? What um, did we lots use? Lots of wood. Lots of wood. Anything else? Grass and wood and, and stick and a log and, and a leaf. So if you come here, children, and have a little look. So sometimes you get bugs and, and creepy crawlies living under the bark. So, yeah, look here. We've just, under this piece of bark here on this, on this log, there's some flat-back millipedes. They're very, very tiny. This bug hotel is brilliant. You know, leaf litter, all of that. I mean, I, I would recommend um, as an awesome job, perhaps, for, for, the, for the kids, Sarah, is that, you know, all of these gaps here beneath the, um, the log, it, that you fill them with autumn leaves and that you create a really nice snug habitat. And you've got some lovely bricks here with holes in that things can squeeze into. Um, and you could, you could bring it up a layer as well as if you've got another pallet. You know, you could just keep adding to it, yeah, adding to it as it goes along. Well, it's been absolutely wonderful to meet you, Sarah, and I'm just so, I'm just so filled with hope now that you're teaching the next generation just to enjoy being outside and all the different species that they can find out here in this little patch of Walthamstow. I really am just really happy now that well, it's a pleasure to, to meet you this. and to learn out learn all the information and also already quite exciting already for our planning for september and where we can move things on and it's a delight to be able to teach the children and it's as exciting for us to experience it with the children it, it really is and in in the middle of autumn so you would not expect no. to be able to have such a green we are really really lucky and uh, the, the children hopefully will be able to move onwards and upwards and learn more yeah. and expand Maybe. can you come back next year please oh yes <laughs> i'll bring a bee hotel thank you <laughs> wildlife expert kate bradbury at chapel end early years center in london You can find out more information about wild bees, Wild About Gardens Week and plants for pollinators on the RHS website and on wildaboutgardensweek.org.uk. The weather has been typically unpredictable this summer, but come rain or shine, there are plenty of events and activities at all four of our gardens across the UK. If you love theatre, there's plenty to see at Harlow Carr this month, 
with immersive performances of Enid Blyton's famous five stories from the 17th to the 19th of August and two Shakespeare plays on the 23rd and the 25th of August. Join us at Hyde Hall on the 17th of August from 6pm for a summer shopping evening and plant centre sale. Items will be reduced by up to 50% and a chilled glass of Prosecco will be served on arrival for the first 50 guests. RHS Garden Rosemore is hosting its first ever flower show on the 18th to the 20th of August. Buy quality plants from specialist nurseries, hear talks from experts and see fabulous floral displays, free with normal garden entry. And finally, at Wisley, you can enjoy our flavoursome Fridays. Every Friday until the 8th of September at 1 to 3pm, visitors can try a selection of seasonal fruit and vegetables from the garden and pick up some tips on cultivation from the RHS team, free with normal garden admission. Full details of all events and many more are on our website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash event search. And finally, orchids, one of the most loved, prized and sought after flowers of all. One of the oldest orchid nurseries in the world is Vacherot and Le Couffle, which was founded in France as the Orchidae Vacherot Company in 1886, acquiring its current name when it became a partnership in 1913. They've won countless accolades and awards for their work to identify, breed and develop beautiful blooms. RHS judges awarded them both a gold medal and the best exhibit prize for their display in the Floral Marquis at Hampton Court this year. We visited their stand at the show to find out more about this renowned horticultural institution. Philippe Lecouf from Vacherot Lecouf, uh, the orchid firm, 130 years of uh, five generations now. My daughter is taking over, Colombe, and she's working uh, now full time in the firm in my place. I, uh, it's my turn to assist her and it's, it's a great pleasure. I would go on doing the shows with her and, uh, of course, try to get our gold medals, which we appreciate each time. This time we've won uh, the best display of the show, which is uh, very pleasant, the, which is called for Hampton Court the Tudor Rose Award. And uh, it's great pleasure and a great surprise too. The first orchids that were sold as pot plant were the cymbidiums. The cymbidiums are the easiest, the most robust, but you would not get cymbidiums at this time of the year. Cymbidiums usually flower uh, in winter from October to April in different seasons. And uh, Phalaenopsis it's become the most common plant, sold everywhere. But plants that are flowered so well are very scarce to find. And this is uh, very important to show plants that are very showy. And it's not because a plant of Phalaenopsis doesn't have bulb, uh, buds that it's not going to last. The Phalaenopsis, once it's completely flowered, will last all the same as long as you water it right. To water Phalaenopsis right, it means that uh, if you have a transparent pot, you observe the roots, rooting system. When the roots go white, they need watering. When they are green, even after one week, 10 days, 15 days, if the temperature is too low, they won't drink. 
So if they, you water them when they don't need water, then what happens is you lose the roots and then you lose the plants. It's very important to know those things to be able to, to progress. And I believe that when you lose a plant, it's always positive, not negative. This is how you should take it, but you have to have the right information about why you lost your plant. And then one of our very big specialty is the cattleyas. The cattleya is a very, very special flower. It doesn't last very long. The phalaenopsis will last, the phalaenopsis, the butterfly orchid or the moth orchid, as you say, <coughs> will last anywhere from one to three, six months and reflower the same year. The cattleya will last it's a magnificent flower. It will last about three weeks, a month, a month and a half, two months in certain cases. And it's a, but it's a plant that is going to last forever. We have plants in our firm. We are French National Collection of Orchids. We are kind of conservatory where we have uh, several hundred varieties of cattleyas that we don't sell but that, that are here to show and use to hybridize. And there are plants, as I said, that can last forever. We have plants that are 90 years old. So it's very impressive if you think about it. Orchids is really a passion. Selecting plants is a real pleasure. For beginners, the Phalaenopsis is the easiest, as long as you choose strong plants well-rooted and well-flowered with no flowers fallen off. It doesn't have to have many buds because most of the time buds are a hope but they are not opening uh, because people don't know how to water them. And as I said, Phalaenopsis, as long as you learn to water them, is extremely easy. I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or Instagram. For now, from me, Sean Thomas, and all the podcast team, thank you for listening and goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress 
in your local garden machinery dealer or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 